Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, before we jump in here, I just wanted to let you know that this Thursday night, it's a knock-on night. Uh, we've got our, our Triumph XL and our regular Triumph size hard-handled knives uh, that are going to be for sale. This is the knife that I developed with John Dudley. Uh, this is John Dudley's design. Uh, his business is knock-on. Uh, and John's just super respected in the industry, one of the best bow hunters alive, uh, one of the best shooters that's ever lived, uh, archery, archery shooters. Uh, just an awesome guy. He's put this, these knives through a lot, of, a lot of work, a lot of animals in the field. Uh, a lot of you guys, a lot of our customers uh, put these knives to work last fall. So uh, excited about that. Check that out. Thursday night, 7 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. This week, our guest is Jessica Byers. Uh, Jessica is actually one of the first people I met in this industry. When we launched our website at Total Archery Challenge that first year in 2020, uh, I'd never been to a Total Archery. Went to the top of a mountain to shoot and actually bumped into her group, and she was nice enough, along with a couple other people, Donnie Drake and, and some friends of Jessica, to let us shoot with them. From there, a friendship grew, and I'm honored to have her on this week. Uh, she works for Hunt and Fool. Uh, she's a marketing director. She does a bunch of different stuff. And honestly, she's a gal that's just a total badass. If you follow her Instagram, she is a legit hunter. Uh, she's a beautiful woman. She's got a lot going for her. I'm, I'm super stoked to have her on and, uh, and honored to call her a friend. All right, Jessica, thanks for being on. It's been a beautiful very meaningful weekend i'm very grateful to be here yeah it was pretty cool it's uh <clears throat> i talked just a tiny bit about you during the during the event we had here our grand opening but it was um it's kind of wild because when we launched our company and i went to that first tack we didn't know anybody you know and jess and i my wife jess we don't want to get that confused <laughs> <laughs> My wife, Jess, and I, you know, we launched our company or our website as the day before we came into that first Total Archery Challenge, and that was in 2020. Um, and we went up on the mountain to shoot, and kind of in that first, I guess you call it hole, first shot, whatever. If it was golf, it'd be your first hole. Um, on the course there, we ran into you and Rihanna, Carrie, Amanda Caldwell, Donnie Drake. I think that was... There might have been uh, Zach or somebody from Leupold was there. Yep, I think it was Zach. <clears throat> and uh, you guys, you know, especially, especially you, especially Donnie, were like super kind to just let these like who knows who these people are, kind of shoot with you guys because you guys were all well known, famous people, <laughs> and uh, you let us like tag along and just kind of shoot that whole time, and it was pretty clear right off the bat that. You were guys, you were some good folks, you know, and it was, it was cool. And then we started meeting more people at that event and man, things just kind of went really fast. And here we are in 23 and you're an event at my shop and I consider you a friend and it's pretty cool. So it's, it's been really cool. It's been special to kind of have that before, during and like see it grow and evolve to what it is. It's, yeah. I know you hear this all the time, but just to, to hear that to watch the success and to see that it's happening to good people that yeah. this is who deserves to see this and experience this. But I think it was, it must've been like six months after I met you at that tech, we were at winter strong together. Yeah. And I, I remember calling you after that and I was like, I want you to make me a custom knife. <laughs> yeah. 
And you were like, well, just hang tight. Cause I'll be honest, I, I was pretty ignorant to like your background, you know, what that would even look like. And you more or less nicely told me, you don't want to pay. You don't <laughs> want to pay me for a custom knife, but I'm, I'm launching these knives. Just hang tight. Yeah. I'll never forget that conversation. And to just see the way that, they, that they've evolved and it's grown. And I mean, no matter where I am, I was wearing a t-shirt in Alaska, jumping on my plane to go, you know, get flown out to the middle of nowhere. And I had the guy's like, Montana Knife Company. I love their stuff. You know, it's like no matter where I go and where I am, you've created this, I don't know, like something really special. So. Yeah, it's it's a cool little community. It's a cool feel. I, it's wild because I get texts randomly from people of like, hey, I'm at a Braves game and there's like some, he'll take a picture like creeping on some dude five rows ahead of him, you know, sh- with a sh- one of our shirts on or just the places, you know, my, my own, my own dad is like, it's like, something's happening. He's like, I came to town, you know, cause my dad's not on social media. He doesn't, my dad doesn't know half of what's probably happening with our company. He's not sure. a hunter, just a blue collar working guy, you know? <clears throat> and he's like, I saw one of your shirts in town. Somebody's wearing one of your shirts. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know it's wild. Like almost every time I go to Missoula, I see somebody or somebody texts me and you know, showing pictures of where it's at. So it's, it's super cool. It's, I couldn't appreciate it more. I mean, and it, hopefully we're just getting started, but it's because, and the whole point of this is because of, it's why we wanted you to be here. It's why we wanted other, other people to be here. Cause we wanted to be able to say thank you. And, um, it feels like we're just getting started, but it's also, um, we've come a long ways, but it's because of people like you that have helped push us, you know, so it's pretty cool with 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 that said i actually honestly don't know a heck of a lot about like you and your story um i don't know i don't know if i've ever listened to a podcast with you on it so i'm 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 actually like legitimately interested because i i i have a lot of respect for for you and for a couple of reasons one you know i have three daughters so i'm always constantly kind of trying to look for um role models i can kind of suggest to them that i where I see people out doing things. Cause like with social media, you can look on there and you can find anything. And, and there's a lot of, you know, pretty girls out there shaking their ass or putting up pictures or doing whatever. Right. And, and I'm always trying to like find women that I can point to my daughters to be like, you know, you, you can be legit. You can kind of live in a quote unquote man's world. As far as like in the hunting space, if you're interested in hunting or you're interested in whatever, there's a girl I met, you know, down at sheep show that's like welding and, you know, there's, you see women performing in these spaces that have been kind of ultimately have been men's games for a while. Um, but you can also do it and be beautiful and, and, and all that as well. And, you know, I, I, I point to a lot of different people and your page is definitely one of them where I'm like, check out what she's doing. Like the, the amount of work and not, you're not just hunting, but you're also a professional in, on the business side in the business industry. So, um, but I, I want to go back to like what, how, how you got that mindset and wh- how you grew up um, and how you kind of became who you are today. So where, where, where were you like born and raised? Uh, born and raised in Temple, Texas. So central Texas, a little bit north of Austin. Um, my dad, similarly, he had three, he had three girls. He has four now. He had one very late in life, but always wanted a boy, had all girls. 
uh, had us outdoors, took us fishing a lot, and we were exposed to hunting our whole life. So that's kind of, he's, I owe it to him. He was kind of the one who introduced me. Um, I was around it for quite a while before I decided that I wanted to get behind the weapon. I was, oh man, like late middle school before I shot my first animal. Okay. And um, I was trying to remember, I just had this conversation not too long ago. I was trying to remember the turning point of like what made me want to get behind a weapon because for so long I was just like just around it, always in deer camp, always saw everybody else shooting stuff. And I remember telling him, I'm, I want to shoot a deer. And it's like his, his eyes just lit up. He was so excited. But he was waiting for that. He was, his whole thing is, I always knew that if I planted the seed and exposed you to this lifestyle, you'd always come back to it because there's, there's something that pulls you in, you know, and maybe you can't appreciate it till you get older, but it's peaceful. It teaches you about yourself. You're challenged. You're, it just exposes a lot of stuff, good and bad. Like, where am I weak? Where, where can I excel? And then you're learning. It's like life skills. And so I think, I think it was seeing my stepmom start hunting out at our ranch is what, what I think I, I remember feeling like, well, she can do it. I can do that. And it, that takes me back to my friend, Sierra. One time she said, if the woman in the house hunts, they all hunt. You know, yeah. it's pretty normal to see a dad or a brother or whatever hunt. But like when the woman hunts, it's like this domino effect. It's like, well, if mom can hunt, everybody can hunt. And yeah. I, I think that's what happened to me. I'm not sure because it's so long ago. It's hard to remember, but I just remember being ready. And then the next thing I know, we're target practicing, went through hunter safety, went out to go get a, my doe, ended up shooting a, shooting a coyote for my first animal. Never shot another one. I didn't realize how special that was when I shot yeah. one. And uh, just slowly, I it, it created a confidence in me that I, I hadn't really experienced before you know it's like that's like such an awkward ugly duckling stage like going trying to figure out who you are you're changing your everything is just so weird at that age I think yeah and I didn't I was just not confident and so um the outdoors kind of created this confidence in me like oh I can do these things and I I can do hard things and I can learn and I can navigate kind of like a man's world and it felt really really good and so I kept coming back to that and eventually he started letting me go out on my own and taught me how to drive the Jeep, you know, just like, yeah, go for it. If you have, if you're safe, I'm happy with it. Yeah. And, um, that just kind of snowballed and fast forward however many years and I met Braxton and he put a bow in my hand. So up until that point, I'd never touched a bow. I'd been curious about it, but I'd never touched a bow before. And I was like, Man, that'd be so cool to get an archery, but there was no way in hell I was stepping into an archery shop. Like, even at as an adult, I was just like so intimidated by it. Yeah, and I think, I think that's intimidating for anybody, but especially a woman. And so, he kind of took me under his wing and taught me everything, and um, that's where the fire like really got lit, sparked off. Yeah, it's like such a cool skill, whether you ever hunt or or not archery is just special like it's therapeutic it's tedious it's like this focused skill and art that you just it's like a zen state yeah (laughs) you know what I mean I I when you were telling that story about your dad I know the feeling that he had when you came and asked him to if you could you know 
go deer hunting because um, my kids all kind of started off and I probably didn't give them the choice, my first couple kids, like Demi and Sadie. What what number what kid, where are you at in the line of your three sisters or uh, two sisters? The youngest and favorite, number three. Okay, so same here. So this <laughs> but, is going to well, make... I guess now I'm, I guess I'm not the youngest now, but that's another story. Right. So my guess is, is that your older siblings probably, if your dad was like me at all, probably, they probably didn't get a choice. Like when they were really young and whatnot, they just like, they went with, but then he was like, we're going to do this and we're going to deer hunt. And that's kind of what I did with my kids. Like it was like, Hey, we're going to go do this. And I go, okay. You know, and we went and did it and, and they started off by, you know, like shooting does and we would go out and I would half the time it was just go out for a little walk, start a little campfire. Cause I remember my kids just, if we built a fire, that was like the coolest thing ever right? Yeah. in the woods, you know? Um, so my first three kids, it was kind of that way, but then we had been, you know, going hunting each year. And, you know, Macy comes along, um, starting to get towards that age. And I was like, Hey, do you want to go deer hunting with Demi and Sadie and Hank and I, and, um, no, I'm going to stay home with Jess. Okay, sounds good. And I didn't pressure her at all. But each year I'd ask her, like, do you want to go? Do you want to go? And she's just like, no. And uh, it was last year, maybe it was two seasons ago. Um, I think she was a sixth grader. She, like, just randomly, like, in the middle of the summer was like, Dad, do you think this year I could go deer hunting? You know, and it's like that feeling of, like, almost tear up. Like, yes, yeah. like, absolutely you know, and that, and that was, I think definitely the right way to go about it. You with your dad and with me of not like not applying the pressure on them to like, you have to do this. And I probably did that a little more with my first ones, but it was really wasn't pressure. I don't remember them saying no, like I, I wouldn't have made them go shoot a deer if they didn't want to. Um, but I probably sold it to them pretty well. I probably marketed that idea well. <laughs> Um, but with, with little Macy, I never had to do that. I never did that. It was just something we were already doing. And I was just giving her a choice as she got to that age. Um, but man, when she did it, she was, she had a blast, you know? And of course that year was like, Hey, the first deer we're going to get is going to be Macy's, right? We're all going for Macy's deer first and, uh, made it all about her. And it was super cool time, you know, and we had to hike in and pack her deer out and the whole nine yards. Um, and she's excited to do more. And then, like, this year, she got a cow elk, you know, which is super cool. Um, so I think that's wise for parents to just expose the kids to it and, and keep teaching them and telling them about it and whatnot and give them the, you know, the, the choice and let them mature at the rate they want to and then let it kind of be their idea. It's you know? super important, especially for little girls. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um. So, and, you know, to your point with, like, the archery shop, you're 100% right that it's, when you said for men and women, like, being intimidated, you know, I get these messages, too, of, like, oh, I would love to start hunting, and it's amazing how many grown men are scared to walk into an archery shop, you know, and I, I don't know, you know, I think men are definitely a little more susceptible to, like, the ego side of not wanting to be the one dude in the archery shop where there's nine guys in there and there's the guys at the counter and they're in there shooting and you're the guy that walks in. It's kind of like walking into a gym, right? And you're this little scrawny guy. A hundred percent. And it's like, I want to start lifting weights, but I don't know shit. Right. And you really hope that, and I think most archery shops, I know the one here locally, they'd be like, come on, man. Like, let's do it. Right. And same thing with women. 
Um, but it's definitely even more so, I think, nerve-wracking for women because you're admitting what you don't know and you're also kind of hanging out in that little men's world, you know. But I've seen, it's been interesting. It seems like an explosion of women getting into archery and shooting and hunting. And a lot of it, I think guys love it when their wives do it with them. Like my wife, she wants to shoot now, but I don't really think she wants to archery hunt. But like when we go to tack, she walks along, she's got her camera and she sees how much fun it looks like. And she would love to do that. Um, but I don't know if she's really ready to like fully commit all the way to hunting. Totally fine. I mean, like I said, I think that's pretty normal too. Like, I've, I was around it for a long, for quite a, like years before I Pull ever. Pull up there. I was around it go. for years before I ever decided. Yeah. Oh yeah, this, I'm, I'm ready for this. Yeah. She may never be, but right. to know the skill of archery and to be exposed to the outdoors and do all the things that hunters do, it's, that's just one part that you're not participating in, right? Everything else is super special. Yeah. And I think especially archery, you do have to kind of be pretty committed and all in to go archery hunt, right? It's, it's. You can definitely rifle hunt and kind of dabble a little bit in shooting and be a little unsure and take a gun out there that's definitely sighted in, but you might not be real competent with it. And you can shoot a deer and then decide, like, that really isn't for me, or or you love it and maybe want to get in more. But with archery hunting, you, you just can't be half-ass. You, there's you just so much the that goes in. Yeah, yeah. you got to love it. And that's why I don't pressure her. I'm not going to pressure her to go hunt. Um, but I definitely would love it if she shoots a bow. You know, so Braxton gets you into archery hunting. Um, what are you doing at this point? Like, did you go to college? Yeah, so I met him um, the summer before my last semester at A&M. So I graduated in December, and he surprised me with a bow that January, right after I graduated for my birthday. Um, but yeah, I was in school, and when I... What I, was your degree? Uh, visualization. So it's in the College of Architecture, and it was a little bit of, it's kind of a newer degree at the time, but it's 2D and 3D graphics, and I focused, I kind of chose a lane, you can choose, like I was with a bunch of, you know, programmers, gamers, real techie, and then I, there's 3D animation, a lot of guys go work for Disney, Pixar, and then I chose the graphic design route, so you just choose what lane you want to go to, but I did a little bit of 2D and 3D okay, digital stuff, really cool stuff, fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and decided, <laughs> decided I wasn't going to use that degree, at least at the time, uh, kind of went through this weird phase of like, what do I want to do with my life? And then a few months later I went to beauty school, <laughs> Really, <laughs> like totally changed directions. Um, but graphic design to beauty school. Yeah. And then, so I, ended, so I ended up using my, my degree. So, so I went through beauty school and they always say, you need to go get experience, work underneath somebody. Don't just go start your own business. I'm like, yeah, whatever, screw that. I got out of school and naturally opened up my own business. Really? And did, um, yeah, because I, I, I just, I like freedom. You know, when you think about how do you measure wealth, it's freedom, freedom to create my schedule or, you know, do what I need to do if I need to spend time with family or make my own. Yeah, it's just, I, I like that. Yeah. I, I've, I've have a hard, I've always had a hard time with the idea of going and making a bunch of money for somebody else. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, so I opened up my own space, and I was doing lash extensions, which is so funny to talk about. But 
my mama had a salon in the 90s, and so I think that was just kind of like naturally in me. My dad's in construction. So I thought I wanted to go to school to be an architect and worked kind of in the construction world. Again, male dominant. Why am I attracted to that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, ended up more on the artistic side, went to beauty school, opened up a salon. and Were you in Texas still? Yep. Uh, yep. I opened up a salon in my hometown and... There's something very gratifying about, first of all, I love people. Like, I love hearing people's stories, how they got to where they are, what are they passionate about, like, what makes them tick. It's just very, very interesting to me. And in a world that can be intimidating for women, uh, when women can struggle to find confidence, it was super gratifying to have a, a different woman on my table every hour on the hour. And then when they left my, when they left my space... They felt beautiful or they felt rested or they mm -hmm. felt like reset because maybe I turned into a therapist for an hour. You know, I don't know. Like right. it's all these things in this safe place and they felt good when they left. And it was very, a very gratifying um, chapter in my mm -hmm. book, I'll say. Um, but it was, you know, kind of overlapping that time that I'd got a bow in my hand. And so, so January, I get a bow. I start hunting with my bow that fall. And in order to hunt more, I had to squeeze everybody into like shorter days yeah. <laughs> so I could hunt more days. Uh, and so I found, I, yeah, I was successful on opening day that season with Braxton. Again, another moment where I was like, I didn't realize how cool that was at the moment. I was like, you find success the first time you're like, oh, this is kind of easy. He's right. freaking now. He's like, it doesn't happen <laughs> like this. Right. <laughs> I shot a doe that morning. And anyway, through that, through that time of having a salon and having, you know, a pretty busy schedule because I was the only one in my town doing lash extensions really like with that sole focus I my clientele grew very fast so I started squishing them together in a few days and then I would hunt on the weekends as much as I could and which is then where um I can remember I can remember the exact client I was working on when she's like well, what are you doing like what do you what do you do on the weekends tell me about your hunting and I was like I know it sounds kind of weird like I don't I feel like I want to start a blog and I want to start writing about my adventures because I keep coming across these women who hear about what I like to do, that I shoot animals with my bow. And then the first thing that they say every time, I could never do that. I don't know how you do that. That just seems so hard. I just nothing but doubt. And it was just this pattern. I'm like, no, anybody can do this. You know, I, I, I literally got a bow and, I'm doing it and I, it's fine. You just got to put in the time. But I realized that there was that hesitation, that lack of confidence. Uh, there's uncertainty in, but when you have another woman kind of leading that and holding your hand, that's less intimidating than having a man try to right. take you in. So, and at the time I couldn't find any women to follow in the sense where they talked about the details, like their journey of a, being a bow hunter or, where they failed, you know, you hear about all the success and you see all the TV shows that shows the highlight reels, but they don't talk about the stuff, like the gritty stuff, like mm -hmm. the stuff that sucks, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's how you learn. I mean, you learn from your own mistakes, but sometimes it kind of helps seeing other people screw up and like, okay. And then having them teach you. And I didn't see anybody. I didn't have anybody to mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can do that. I'm new. I'm not trying to step into it to be an expert. Maybe I can share, what I did wrong and what I learned from it and write about it. 
And then I used my degree to brand, to make a brand, to make a website, to, to create all that. So I kind of, you know, they all just kind of merged together. And then. What'd you call that? Follow her arrow. Yeah. So at the time, the Casey Musgrave song, <laughs> follow your arrow, wherever it points was like, I don't think it, it wasn't new, but it was still like very much uh, a highlight, like top whatever song. Current, yeah. And follow your arrow was taken. And then I was like, well, I do want to kind of focus it on women. And this is like a thought process of all of 10 minutes. It was, it was not, I never expected it to be mm-hmm. anything. Um, so yeah, follow her arrow began. That was August of 2015. And here we are yeah. <laughs> just still writing about, uh, I, I love to write. It's very therapeutic for me. And, um, I quickly realized like, the need for it was definitely there. It kind of, it grew quickly and there was a lot of women reaching out and feeling, um, I hate the word inspired. That's so like overused, but they, they felt like they could do it. I was like, okay, that's the whole point of this, right? Is to, to stop hearing women say, I could never do that. Or I don't know how you do that. Like I'm showing you how I do it and I'm showing you how I screw up too. Cause we're all human. So it was, yeah, and that's where it was born. So <laughs> how how long were you in Texas then with your business before? Because <clears throat> right now you're in Utah. Mm-hmm. So how wh- what what made that transition? How did how did Utah happen? Was it because of the job you have now? Yes. Okay. Yep. So um, in 2015, when I said like so when I started it, I started writing, started going to all the shows, just like networking, right? Because I always say one handshake can change your life and. Again, I love people, and, and I was new to the industry. Nobody knew. I, I was nobody. I didn't. So I just was just putting in the time, showing up at the events. The same way that you guys went to tech. It's like I got to be in it and make the connections and figure out how this works because I, I realized I wanted to try to make something of it. And um, that went on for a few years. I traveled around the world. I had, like, individual sponsorships with peop- with different companies. So this was, like, before there were – influencers and content creators like I would say I cut it on the very front end and now it's just there it's everywhere and so I saw the writing on the wall I could fast forward a few years it's like okay I can't keep making money doing this and getting paid to do this when there's a thousand other people are going to do it for free Mm -hmm. like and that's fine but I gotta I gotta pivot I gotta do something different and I missed having I missed the idea of like working with people um, I like feeding off people's energy and like it's motivating. It's like this creative vibe. And I was, I was missing that in my life. You know, I was just very much like my, my, my husband would come with me sometimes, but he had a full-time job too. So a lot of my hunting adventures around the world and stuff were by myself or with some random person, like some random chick I met, you know, like mm-hmm. it was, it just gets kind of lonely. I wanted a team. <laughs> I wanted like a family atmosphere. And so I kept going to the shows, ended up shaking the hand of the CEO of Hunt and Fool. Okay. And so that was at SHOT Show in 2019. And 11 months later, I moved to Utah and was working for Hunt and Fool. Wow. Because he needed, he needed a marketing person. I was like, I was looking, I was looking for the answer to a lot of prayers and he needed somebody in that space. So it was just Perfect. Like shook the right hand. Like exactly what I was saying. Like you sometimes just shake the right hand. Now, what was Braxton doing at that time? Construction. So he's always been in construction for as long as I've known him from the time I met him. Um, 
he he did take a leap of faith at one point, uh, went into like the ranch managing position in a, on a Texas ranch, and that didn't work out, went back to construction. But he's a prime example of being really, really good at something. He's damn good at pouring concrete. He's probably not going to like that I told you that because then you're going to be like, hey, Braxton, you want to come up? Yeah. <laughs> he's really good. Um, uh, yeah, he was a crane operator for a while. He ran huge job sites for a giant company. So but when he, you when you said, uh, "Hey, I want to move to Utah," <clears throat> was he was he willing to just pop up and move there and get a job there in Utah? Or hundred percent. So after I met the CEO of Hunt and Full, they started doing our license application. Um, all of our license applications for us created a strategy for us to apply across the West. I fell in love with the company for just like the hands-on customer service, the hold your hand, teach me how to obtain tags in the West. Him and Jared kept in touch because Braxton is like a man's man. I'll talk to the, like, once y'all meet, talk all the time. Right. Him and Jared hit it off, and he really wanted uh, to move. He, he wanted to move into the, the industry and the space that he loved. Right. Get out of construction. Um, so it was kind of like a, it was a team thing. It was a joint, like a package deal. So he's a hunt advisor. I'm in marketing. Mm -hmm. We moved together. But as far as, like, his willingness to move – I guess the easiest way to say it is I flew in for an interview. They interviewed him on the mountain on an elk hunt because they were like, that's the best place to get to know somebody, right? Like, if you can be in elk camp with somebody for a week, chase an elk, right. get your butt handed to you or whatever it looks like, you're going to get to know him really quick. And if mm -hmm. we still like these people, then we'll hire him. So that was our final interview. Well, but he never saw Cedar City. Like, he's like, if you like it and you're happy, I'll pack up the trailer right now. And that's literally what he did. Yeah. He just took a leap of faith and said we're young we're taking a huge pay cut but who gives a crap let's do it and yeah. Yeah, like I said it happened really fast that's cool yeah so the position you took at that moment at Hunt and Fool was what uh marketing and PR manager which is still my current position okay yeah okay I wasn't sure if you started in a different role there and then moved into this one or no and I honestly my title should probably change a little bit because I handle all the advertising through the company so print and digital media of any kind um, from the meetings to the contracts to the deliverables like keeping them happy plus right. all the shows and stuff you know anything that's networking I'm that's what I do right right yeah so at hunting fool um, what what is hunting fools just for people that don't quite understand and know here what is what is what is Hunt and Fool? What, is it, what, are the, what service do they provide? So it's a, it's a membership-based organization. Um, we help people get more tags. You know, like we're, we're providing the information to get you in the field, go on hunts. Um, we cover 22 different states. So, you know, for those who are listening who may not understand how Western-based hunts work, some states have a point system, some of them don't. There's different types of point systems. So we break down all the really crappy state websites and their systems, and we simplify it into a monthly publication paired with you can call in and talk to one of 10 hunt advisors, and they can walk you through the process of, of obtaining more tags mm -hmm. based on your goals, like coming up with a strategy for short-term, long-term. What are you trying to accomplish? Let's let's figure out how to do that. And not just sit there and build points for 20 years and hope that you draw a tag one day. Like we're yeah. not about that. We want you to get in the field and make memories and we show you how to do that. Yeah. And that's, so 
your guys' service tonight, shit, we've talked a couple times about this, and then I never actually get it done, but uh, we need to get it done. Um, for example, you know, I would I would love to go down hunting Wyoming, right? Or I'd love to go down and hunt in Utah or Nevada or Arizona, wherever, right? <clears throat> all these others, all these different states. And uh, for people that don't know, there's, there's certain areas of all of these states that are great hunting for certain animals, but a lot of times there's only a few tags given out. Um, it's a lottery system. You got to take, you know, draw a tag and it can be really difficult. Um, but what's the most difficult part, frankly, is it for people is, is knowing, like I live in Montana. I don't know where in Wyoming or Nevada or Utah to go. I don't know how the numbers of the deer herds or the elk herds are doing. Um, I definitely don't know about their different laws and regulations and how their point systems work. Some people's, you know, you build points and some, some you don't. It's just, it's a whole crazy system that I, you know, I think a a lot of people love to sit down and like dig into it and really be fully invested in it and handle it all themselves. And that's fine. But let's face it, most of us don't. And I, and I, but I, I want the best chance of success, right? The best chance of getting a tag. And what really sucks is you draw a tag. I had a buddy of mine here draw a tag down in Utah. Draws a tag. I call one of our friends down in Utah. I'm like, hey, my buddy drew this tag in this area. And he was like, tell him to give it back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, there's no, he's not going to find an elk. Like, tell him not to use his points on that. Like, turn it in, whatever. Um and it's like, well, that's a tag he's been putting in for years, wasting time putting in for a tag in an area that, you know, he thought had elk and it didn't, you know. And actually, quite honestly, it is an area that has elk. But in that time, at that time, I think that was last year or the year before, it had a terrible drought and there was no water anywhere. And so the elk had moved. They had migrated to a few certain places that had water, uh, which was not where he was hunting. You know, I don't know if it was a different area, if it was all to private or what, but... Um, yeah, it's a cool service because we, you know, especially with all these different states you want to put in, um, it's, it's handy to use, use a service like your guys is where you have ex- experts with boots on the ground. Cause you guys also talk a lot with the outfitters, right? Yeah. So, so two things. One is that's kind of like what, what created Hunt and Full is we specialize in non-resident. So, um, non-resident opportunities, cause we want you to hunt outside of your state or know that there's opportunity outside. There's so much opportunity that people don't know about. And you live in Montana. You have great hunting here. It's mm-hmm. funny. I talk to a lot of people from Montana who haven't hunted outside of Montana. And I, I kind of get why, like you guys have a, a really good thing going here. Um, but we, we, we do specialize in non-resident opportunities. And so the way we deliver this information is uh hunt and full began as like a four pieces of paper stapled together best units across the West to hunt type of thing. Now we're a full-blown publication. It's monthly, and all that data is put into these magazines every single month. It ends up being about 1,500 pages of data. You can access it digitally as well. But in it's it's not just copy-paste from the state websites. It's here are the best units. This is what we recommend. This is how much it takes to, to draw it as resident, non-resident, you know, has all, all, the, all this information, and then it also has comments from our advisors. And that could be um, information that they obtained from their own boots-on-the-ground experience. That could be from the outfitters, to your point, because we do deal with hundreds of outfitters 
um, now all over the world because we're a booking agency too. But yeah, the guys are required to, as they're writing these state sections, they, they lean on biologists, um, outfitters, like wherever they can get this information. If they didn't, if they weren't physically there. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the guys, whether they, they might hunt it, they might guide there. Um, some of the guys will guide on the side as well. So however they can obtain this experience, this data to give back to our members, it's pulling from people who are actually in the field. It's not people sitting behind a computer. Um, so it's super valuable. And to your point, um, regarding water and drought and all that, like all of that's accounted for. Um, we, they, they talk about that. What's, what, what's the rain been like snowfall, all that. Um, and they keep up with it. We try to cover it in podcasts too. what we're hearing, what, what they're seeing predator numbers, like all Mm -hmm. of that. Um, it's, Yeah. yeah, it's current data for you to make like an educated decision where you should burn your points or where you should go hunting. Right. So speaking of hunting, you've done a lot. <clears throat> you've and you've had some success. It's been really cool. Um, just since we met three years ago, I mean, uh, what what is your what's your favorite hunt each year? Is it is it elk hunting? Is that your is archery elk your like your go to if you just had to choose one to do forever? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I could never hunt anything else, archery elk hunting is like why. If you've ever had a bull bugling in your face at 20 yards, it's like, it's the most magical thing ever. It's the only animal I, I ever actually have dreams about, which I think is funny. <laughs> like, yeah. I can hear like bugles in my sleep. Um, man, they are just the most majestic animals. They are unlike anything I've hunted. Tell me about your first bull with a bow. Oh, so I had beginner's luck. Uh, so when Braxton and I got married, my dad, so my, like I said, I grew up hunting with my dad, mostly hunted Texas. Usually when you're, really, you're from the South hunting private land, you don't really know about Western opportunity, mm-hmm. which is another reason I was so fascinated by hunting for. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this huge world out there. There's so much I can do. They'd never know about. Well, for a wedding gift, my dad was like, what do you think about going elk hunting? This is really embarrassing to say now, but like, I'm just going to own my truth. I didn't even know, I didn't know shit about an elk. I didn't even know that the sound that they made. I'm literally on my way. So long story short, he gets me an elk tag in New Mexico. We go on a father-daughter uh, elk hunt. I ended up getting a bull. It's still, till this day, my biggest bull. And <laughs> I did not know what I shot when I shot it. Um, but I didn't know anything. I saw, I get to go to a new state and hunt with my dad new species with a bow. I'm on a high. I just got married. Like, you know, it's just like checks mm-hmm. all the boxes. Screw it. Let's go. Um, and then even before I'm a hunter, I would say I'm a traveler. I like seeing new places. So I'm very much driven by just the beauty of land. What can I see? What's new? So the idea of going to the Gila, mm-hmm. which is just an incredible place and on its own. Um, it was just, it was cool. Like I, yeah, hunted hunted my tail off. We ended up extending the hunt two days, and I ended up getting one on the last night, on that seventh night, like in the last few minutes of light. Was he bugling? You come into bugles? Or? Yeah, so I was sitting. <clears throat> I They weren't talking a whole lot. It was the first season of New Mexico. Um, they weren't fired up yet. And the outfitter that I went with was like, 
you go sit on this tank all day, you'll shoot a bull. And I'm like, the idea of sitting all day just did not really appeal to me. I loved that, you know, I liked running the mountains and physically, like the physical exertion of feeling like I'm, I'm doing something, you know, but I'm like, whatever, I care about getting a bull. So I sat there all day, ended up being, I think, 14 hours because I got there super early because it's public land. So I was trying to beat other people to this tank. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't hear crap all day. And, but I was just trying to enjoy the peace and quiet. I was by myself. I, they just dropped me off and I hiked up and went there. And at last light, I heard bugles not too far away. And I'm like, what the heck? There's, that can't be real. I'm thinking I'm dreaming because I'm just kind of like in and out of it. I'm like starting to see things. I hadn't even gone to the bathroom all day. I was scared to death to get out of this ground blind. It's just brushed in, kind of exposed. And I was just like, I just need to sit tight. And um, he came in. There were wallows on the backside of the bank, and I could hear him splashing around. All his cows came into the tank, and then I he came in, bugled. Like, I could just barely see the back of his, the, the top of his back. He leaned his head back, 20 yards, bugles. And I, y'all, my whole body just melted. I just, I could, it was the coolest thing. And then he flips around, 180 starts coming out of the water, and I came to full draw, and as soon I needed to hit, to see his belly so I could gauge how high to shoot. Because again, I don't know these animals for shit. I just need to see like how low that lower third. Yeah. As soon as I could gauge that, I let it fly. And he spooked. He kind of just he, he didn't know what happened. He's coming out of the water, didn't expect anything to hit him. He comes up on top of the bank, and I like knocked another arrow. And army crawled out of the ground blind and stood up and shot him a second time. Smoked him, and he went down like hundred yards. But I waited a while to go all get all by him. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a rush. It was. Um, I was ne- I was never the same after that hunt. <laughs> like, yeah, like it got in my blood good, and I just remember when they they finally came pick me because I just sat tight, you know, and I didn't go looking for him immediately at all. But I c- I heard him take his last breath, so I knew he wasn't far. I could hear him coughing, and then t- like he was done, and um. When they finally came and got me, I had 1% left on my phone because I sat, again, I sat all day. I didn't have service. I'm trying to get a message to go through, but it's draining my battery trying to get service. Right. Finally got it through before it died, and I said, bull down. And next thing I know, I he- I see flashlights, and they're coming to get me. And I just started screaming, I shot an effing bull. I shot an effing bull. I didn't know who <laughs> it was. I was freaking out. And, um, Yeah. We waited a little bit, went and got him, and my dad was just, it was, my dad was so proud. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> he was just, it was cool. Uh, and I was, the only, he didn't end up getting one. It actually took him, we've been elk hunting every year since that year. It, we both just fell in love with it, and uh, it took him a while. He, he, he kind of, he's one of those guys that blacks out when a bull's screaming in front of him. Really? <laughs> yeah. So he's missed, I'm sorry, dad, if you're listening to this, <laughs> he's missed, uh, quite a few um he's let him fly but he's missed a few yeah and he finally got one seven years later so so not this past season but the season before I was with him just the two of us when he got it and what was that like (laughs) I'm trying not to cry (laughs) yeah um it was cool it was I think just to see, because I've seen his journey over the years, you know, just like the defeat, the heartbreak, you know, I've been with him and he was so cranked up 
when this happened. He was so cranked up he couldn't draw his bow. I'm really sorry, Dad. But I had to help him draw his bow. Really? <laughs> to shoot his bull. Because have you ever had adrenaline work against you where you couldn't draw? I, I haven't, no. But I've, I, but I've heard about it. I have heard about it. I've had it happen to me on a bobcat in Texas because you just don't see bobcats. I'm up in a tree stand yeah. and I'm, this cat's cleaning itself at 15 yards. I'm like, I literally can't draw my bow. I, I just went numb. Your whole body just, it's like a noodle. You can't function. That happened to him. And it was, and so we finally got his bow drawn back and he shot a bull. Well, and those bulls are so majestic. Yeah, I think it's so easy to happen. It's like, you hear about guys that have shot white-tailed deer for decades, right? Sure. And they go on their first elk hunt and turns them into a puddle of mush. Mm. You, you know, the size of the animal, but also the noise they make. You know, it's, you know, like Barklow said, it's like, it's like hearing a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. You know, that sound, um, that was the best part about my wife's hunt that we went on this fall was her bull bugled for at least 30, if not 45 minutes before she shot him, just over and over. And that sound is, you know, I was saying to her, like, this is the greatest sound on earth. It is. It's the greatest sound on earth. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in Spain red steak hunting this last year and, uh, they make a a cool sound. It's a lot different. It's called a roar. It's a it? roar. Didn't and you win that hunt? Did you yeah. win that hunt? Okay, I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lucky bastard. Uh, but it, those guys over there think it's like the coolest sound on earth. Yeah. And some of them are really cool. Like there, there's a big variation, but some of them just sound like cattle, mm. like mooing, basically. <laughs> and, I'm like, you know, and I, you definitely hear some roars that it's, that sound, you got cattle mooing, and then you have grizzly bears roaring. And it's cool, for sure. It's cool. But it ain't close to an elk. Like, sorry, Spain. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an elk. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's a cool time. Well, I'm sure your dad, like, to have you there next to him when he shoots his first bull, like, I'm sure he was... I'm sure emotionally that was just incredible for him. Yeah, it was really special. He actually was going to go home early because he pulled his hamstring running mountains. He's like mid-60s. I think he's going to be 66, 67 maybe. I don't know. Anyway, he he went really hard for a handful of days, and he pulled his hamstring, and he was going to go home. And I'm like, I just lost. I'm like, you can't give up, Dad. And like. I was like, look, there's this tank. It's just a little bit of an incline. It's a mile and a half back. Let's just take it super slow one morning. Let's go sit all day. Let's just try it. And that's it. He ended up getting a bull at that tank. So we got we sat together. We, we brushed in a blind together. And um, it was it was really, it was just really special. Because, like, just knowing that he probably would have gone home. But I just, like, you can't go. Like, there's just a few days left of season. Just try but it's probably devastating when you get to run the mountains and then you can't, you know. He's just like, I can't move. He was limping along bad. Yeah. Um, so we just took our time and left extra early and got there. And, you know, sitting water can be, like I said, I just told you my first bull story over water. It's it's not it's not sexy. Like, no. it's just not. But sometimes that's what you have to do. And at this point, I'm like. Not let's sexy, just, but definitely probably the most effective. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of big bulls killed over water. Like. And that's a whole, that's a, another whole debate. Like, you know, at the end of the day, do what makes you happy. And I knew that he needed to get the monkey off his back from all the, the misses and the, just the screw ups, you know, like mm. 
just kill a freaking bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what it did. He, it created this, like, again, this confidence, like, cause I've seen my dad, my dad shot a moose. He's, I was with him when he shot a moose with his bow. He shot tons of whitetail and I, he's not a bad shot. He just right. literally blacks out. Cause sometimes elk have that effect on people. Gets the yips. Yeah. So that drive. So that's something I wanted to ask you about. Like even just that story there of you, like you can't give up, you got to go. Um, but that personal drive that you have, and you were talking about how, you know, your dad can really go and did you get that drive from your dad, from your mom? Like, cause what I've seen out of you over the last few years of, of watching sound like creeping, like creeping on your Instagram. I've just been watching <laughs> you, uh, but your reputation too, in this industry, um, a story I was just told yesterday about you oh was, yeah, what, which one do I want to tell? <laughs> no. Uh, was the fact that you really have this, like, like you, you want to do the work. You want to do all the work. You, like, don't even want to let people carry your meat. Or, like, you have this, like, work ethic and this drive to go out and do it. And I've seen you, like, on Instagram going out and hunting and being out there on your own by yourself. And, and it seems like you embrace, even, like, doing 75 hard and the things you've done, like, you embrace like hard work, doing all your pull-ups and stuff you've done in the past. Um, where did that drive, that work ethic come from? Mm, so I'm, I'm not sure it's the healthiest thing. It's something I've learned about myself uh, in the last couple years, but I associate a lot of my worth with what I can accomplish, what I'm able to do. It's like, it just drives me. It's like, I'm always chasing that next thing, that next best thing. And if I can push my limits, it's like I'm worthy of <laughs> respect and love. And I, again, I don't know if it's the healthiest thing, but it's it's very real for me. Yeah. Um, I don't think accomplishments should define a person, but in my head they have for a long time. Mm-hmm. So uh, the desire to accomplish hard things and to just kind of embrace the suck and that journey of like, and then also just, man, what can I learn about myself? I think it's easy to stay comfortable um, and you get complacent. It's like, yeah, that's an easy place to be, but I don't learn anything about myself in that. And I worry about not using my full potential in my lifetime. How do you discover full potential if you're not pushing limits? Like, so it's just kind of a domino effect and you never appreciate things the same as if someone's just handing it to you. That's just, that's just, you know, you know that. You know that. You work yeah. your tail off. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, <clears throat> um, because you're kind of living in, we're living in two things. One, we're kind of, li- you're, you're living a bit in a man's world, right, in the hunting or what has been. But also, there are all these, like, quote-unquote, huntresses online, right, that are kind of fake, that are posting up some pictures, and it's it's more about the bikini. And, um, you, like, a lot of us know, like, that a lot of stuff that we see being posted isn't necessarily real or that person's not really a legitimate outdoorsman um, or woman. Uh, do you almost feel more pressure or responsibility or not, not responsibility, but does it, does it feel like you have to accomplish more like show um, almost like try to like show it like, like 
I don't know how to say it without sounding bad, but work, yes. work harder <laughs> to not be like, oh, she's just one of those girls. Because, like, you're gorgeous, right? You're a beautiful woman. And if you post a picture online, it's probably kind of easy for somebody that doesn't know you just zipping by all these pictures of girls with a fish or whatever. And, like, oh, there's this other blonde girl from Utah with a with an elk. She probably just got that on her, you know, private ranch, like, super easy thing, whatever, next to the truck, right? Is there a pressure there or, like, a a, yeah. f- a weird feeling with that? that yeah. Um, and, and I don't... I don't want to put too much emphasis on this because I don't like to give negative people a platform, but I I have experienced a lot of that, um, I guess, association with people like that. Uh, and people who are less successful than you want to, f- it's like they see that you're successful What's the easiest thing to tear down? What's the first thing that they can say to tear you down or take away from you, strip you of that accomplishment? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had to learn the hard way that it doesn't matter what I do or how hard I work from whether I, whether I'm hunting through an outfitter and I'm being guided the whole time or I go out and do it on my own. I, wherever that spectrum is, I've done it. In either way, I've had a pile of hate. And the, the root of it, unfortunately, is the jealousy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for so long, I couldn't admit that because the idea of someone being jealous of something when I work my ass off just doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. So discovering that was kind of heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, I do feel that not even, not even, in, I do feel like I have to prove myself, not necessarily in comparison to them, but just to prove myself in an industry that is so dominant with men. Um mm-hmm. And it and and it's it's taken me into some kind of dark places too of like okay well maybe if I just look as trashed and shitty as I can and but still get stuff done you know like God forbid I have on mascara right? right like if I just look my worst and still find success they can't say anything like and that sounds so weird and like cringy to say but again that is my truth this is years ago that I went through this little phase but um like there is almost trying to not look too pretty just so you can be judged differently even though I never felt that like I've I've and I've hunted I've hunted with and I've been around people who do try they want to look their best while they're chasing game throughout the mountain throughout the mountains I don't give a damn about that I honestly mm-hmm. don't like I don't care when you're going a week without showering you're not supposed to look good right. um but that's their thing. And that's, that's fine. I know badasses that do it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but to just be thrown into that and judged for it when it's not even my truth is frustrating. Right. So yeah. Um, I, there's also a pressure cause like kind of back to my story of how I got started. I was on the front end of like when I was getting paid with individual contracts, there weren't many people doing that that I know of. I mean, I had a ton of people asking me, how are you getting paid by these companies? I'm like, if you treat something like a business and you know your value and you deliver what you say you're going to do, there's payment. Mm-hmm. Your time is valuable. Now it's so, it's it's very um, flooded with opportunity for people to take nothing or very little. And 
where was I going with that? Um, oh, the pressure of feeling like I have to perform to show that I'm worthy of getting, you know, these opportunities. Right. Th- there, there is some pressure, not and, so much, not so much anymore, but like there was for a while for sure. And that's kind of what I was thinking as you were <clears throat> talking about some of this is, which you probably, you probably know this now, but there's the same kind of pressure too on, I'm sure on men that are getting paid to, to represent companies to go hunt and like, Oh God, I, you know, I have to kill an elk this year. Like I'm this guy for this company. Right. Sure. Like I, you know, and all of a sudden maybe start changing the way they've hunted for a long time. Like, Oh, maybe I'm not going to just do public land in Montana. Like I, I got to go on this private hunt cause I got to get something on the ground. Right. Sure. And you know, there, there also is this, um, there's also this whole idea too of like that just cause you're a girl and an attractive female and whatnot in this space, there's also, you know, as you got that whole like must, oh, it must be nice, right? Must be nice, right? You hear Cam talk about that a lot and whatnot, but like that same kind of stuff happens to men too. And again, it all boils down to jealousy where you're, whether you're female or male or whatever, it's like, well, it must be nice, you know? you know, John Dudley to go do what you get to do or cam or whoever. Right. Um, and ultimately I think, and it sounds like you have a real good grasp on this now, but like, fuck those people. (laughs) Right. And like, you're going to have people that are jealous. And if you let, it's like Rogan says, don't read the comments. Right. Like if you read like the comments through one of your posts after you kill something, how many are positive and positive and how many are negative? Oh, I mean, right. Yeah, for every, yeah, for every fifty positive, there's going to be someone's negative. At least fifty. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you if you give it that amount of percentage time in your head, you know, maybe occasionally it is good to hear a comment and be like, "Oh, am I doing this? Maybe this person has a point." But like, very occasionally. Sure. Maybe. But if you spent, let's just say, it's ninety nine percent of your time thinking about the positive you're gonna probably have way better mental health and do more and more good things and and good things are going to come from it than than allowing that two percent of comments to have to occupy the 98 percent of your brain right and to let yourself get in a funk or start changing the way you put your makeup on or the kind of hunt you go on or you know the uh the reading the comments thing i'm sure can be dangerous yeah, it can, but then also I like I like to make people feel like they're heard because one of the most, I mean, for me, uh, a, a, a quality communicator is a very good listener. Mm-hmm. And when you listen and you can respond in a meaningful, empathetic way, it makes someone feel heard and then remind them that they're human and they're important, that goes a long way. And I've over the years, that's the feedback I've gotten. It's like, I try to respond to every single comment that I can, every direct message, everything, because there's a person on the other end of that. Um, so it makes it a little hard <laughs> to just like, okay. To well, not I can't, read the comments. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I can't not see the bad mixed in with the good. I, I, yeah. I, in and and we're, we're, the, we're the same in that, that we've tried to make a really conscious effort to interact with our customers, like comments and, you know, it, it's, it's hard, especially with a couple Instagram accounts and, um, it, it can be difficult. Um, but you can, 
you can also gain some respect too by kind of coming back at a person in a respectful way or arguing your point or whatever it is, whether it's in our knife making stuff or in what you do. Um, and have somebody quite surprised that you like took the time to write back and make a point. And then they immediately kind of feel like, like, cause like, would they have really have talked to you that way at, you know, hunt expo in person? Maybe no, not. Cause I've seen them and they won't. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> they don't, they avoid me. <laughs> right. So when you come back at them, maybe you turn that person into a supporter, but I've also found, you know, every now and then there's a couple of people that it's just worth blocking them. Absolutely. And I make that call. I've got, I really love blocking people. Yeah. Blocking is, a, it's become kind of a sport. It's like, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I, so I agree with you that, you know, and it's obviously none of us are on Rogan's um, scale, right? So like not reading the comments probably is really good advice at a certain point because it's impossible to, to keep up with it all, you know, but, sure. but I think that's in early on with you. I mean, you were always, like you say, you've always responded to comments and responded to messages and been very connected. Um, and I, and I see your following is very loyal too. Like, it seems like, because what you do is real and resonates, you know, and I think that's the thing you look at again, not to just harp on this point, but like you, you look at some of those pictures from some of those other people and there's really not actual community in those comments. And a lot of times there's not even that many comments, Right. But you kill a bull and you, you kind of talk about, you know, what you were doing and how it was and the, how difficult it was or a goat or whatever that you, hunt you were on. It's cool seeing how many people, like, admire what you do, get um, inspiration from it, you know, love, love what you do. And because they've also seen you grow your following, much like we're growing. You've grown from writing that blog article, right? Was it, was it, you could consider it a blog? Was it a blog? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it still is. It's, I'm just not as active, but I'm trying to get it started again. Yeah, <laughs> but to it. but to start that, you know, and be doing your your you know your business with your, um, you call it beauty. What do you call it? Beauty business. Uh, uh, yeah. What <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. To what you're doing today, it's really cool to have seen, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know. You just have a. You just have. I think you have a cool following, and I think what you're doing with hunting fool, and that's the other side of it too, right? There's the hunting side, but then, like, you're managing marketing, and advertising, and a lot of that stuff for a, a pretty large company. I mean, it's pretty impressive. So you're not only just a hunter, but you're also a businesswoman, um, which is really cool. Thank I think you. you've been. Uh, it's been. That's why I say, like, when I point at, at women online that are doing stuff for my daughters to follow and emulate, like. How do you turn your passion into a career, right? Yeah. And that's something like with the knives that I asked myself that for a long time. Like, how, how do you, you know, I was a lineman, like you said, going and making money for other people or really it was more, you know, it was a big corporation, right? A utility, but like having to be somewhere at eight o'clock and working till five and just being at like, like you're a, like you're a robot. Yeah. That was a big thing when I was coming on to hunt and fall, like. I was really nervous because I had gone, you know, I was hunting so much throughout the year. Like, oh my gosh, is that going to be taken from me <laughs> when right. I come on? But our the, the heart of our business is like right now, January through June during application season. So our members are out in the field in the fall. Our phones aren't blowing up. Right. A lot of my contracts have been taken care of since, you know, Q1. So we have a lot of freedom to 
to go and do the things that we love. And it's, it's so nice to just have that balance. And the, the whole two week vacation thing just was, it was just not going to work for me. No, man, <laughs> that's the part of it. Right. And they say young people these days, like, what do they value? You know, you could offer somebody a $5 an hour pay raise or an extra week of vacation, which is like five days off. And a lot of times they would they would give away the money to have the vacation time. Yeah. Like the experience part of it. Yeah. Um so what's your like what's your what's your goals? What's coming up next? Um, you know, professionally and then also on the hunting side like this year. I'm sure you've got some hunts you're already looking at doing. Well, um Yes, so I'm, I'm leaving for Africa in June. I might, I'm going to try to squeeze in a bear hunt here in Montana, I think. We'll see how that goes. Um, never been to Africa, going to South Africa. Gonna. Everybody says that that's Do just going to... Yeah, yeah, everybody every, says to go, you have to go. You know, it's been hard for me to completely understand that because I grew up in Texas, so obviously there's exotics everywhere. And there's there's high fence, there's low fence, whatever. I've just seen all these exotics my whole life, you know, on these huge ranches. Um, but one, you know, one thing I said is I'm a traveler before a hunter and I want to go see where these animals are naturally. And just everybody talks about Africa. Like it's just a different world. Um, I really love being immersed in different cultures and food and seeing how other people live. It, it's grounding. It makes you, grateful for what you have or maybe what you don't have maybe inspires you to do something more whatever I travel to me is just I've traveled all over the world and I can't get enough so I am going hunting but I'm first going there to see out South Africa um probably shoot a kudu and a wildebeest and a handful other things and we'll see um I'm trying to draw my Wyoming archery elk tag I'm trying to draw my Montana archery elk tag uh, if I can, I, there's a, a supposedly, so caribou got shut down in Alaska for the area that I was going to hunt, uh, last year before my mountain goat hunt. Um, the area is still shut down, but there's another area. If I, if you go super early in August, apparently there's an area where they get held up there and they're in full velvet. And so I might be, I'm still, I'm it's like literally waiting to get the phone call that I'm going or not going, but possibly going caribou hunting in Alaska this year, early August. And then I will go to New Mexico with my dad, assuming he gets a tag. Whether I have a tag or not, I'll always I'll hunt with him until he's not here anymore. Because yeah. you just never know how many elk seasons you have left. And we started doing that together. So you know what the answer to that is? How many elk seasons you have left? Not enough. <laughs> yeah. Never enough. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's that's my. Oh, and then if if I don't get the if I don't go to care if I don't go to Alaska for caribou, then I'll do the over-the-counter um, spike cow elk tag in Utah. Mm-hmm. It's such a good, just, like, fun, laid-back, no-pressure meat hunt with friends. We usually have a, a little camp, and we're all just chasing spikes and cows and helping each other pack out. And it's such a good warm-up for the season because you're hiking your tail off at eight, 9,000 feet, and it's a good good warm-up for the season. So, yeah potentially four elk tags, but we'll see because that's what I care about the most. I don't know anything outside of that right now other than muskox next March. I have that booked for Greenland. That's cool. 
I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. Um, professionally, you know, I, I quickly mentioned that I'd quit writing for a little bit. Sometimes like, like, I don't know, we get creator's block or a writer's block. I don't know what it is, but sometimes I go through these little spurts of time where I don't write as much as I usually do. And I love writing. Um, I've been writing my whole life. It started in therapy. They were like, that's your homework. Go home every night and write. You just get it on paper, good, bad, in between. And you don't have to read it. You don't have to share it. Just get it out. And I saw firsthand how powerful that was for my mental health and just documenting documenting experiences that were um, life-changing for me. Um, and obviously, that's how it, my brand started. But I kind of got away from it for a little bit, and I'm starting to get back into it now. The creativity thing, I mean, it was like when I was a custom knife maker, it was actually one of the more difficult things where you have some things going on in your life that are causing stress, <clears throat> and you're distracted. Um, whether you're going to sit down and and hand make a really ornate knife, or you're going to sit down with just a pencil and a piece of paper in a quiet room and try to put something out on paper that's artistic or um, informational, but it, you know, informational would probably be easier because you're kind of regurgitating facts in your head and figures and stuff like that. That to me is, is a bit simpler, but to be creative and to sit down and create like that, if you have things happen in your life that are distracting or stressful, um, that, that whole block situation is real for yeah. sure. Yes. And I, I didn't think it would go on this long, but I'm just glad it's, starting to come back because it is really fun and I the amount of times that I go back to articles particularly in on the informative side of things but that I go back and reference stuff that I've already written whether it's like tips for I don't know removing arrow wraps or building a PVC pipe bow holder or making summer sausage like those are just like little one-off things I've written about that I forget little steps here and there and I go back and I'll I'll use my own stuff to remember how I did it the first time. But the on the creative side and the storytelling side, which is what I really love, and the emotion behind it, you never think that you'll f- forget how you feel on each hunt. And maybe if you only go on one or two hunts a year, maybe that is still very true. But when you're constantly on an airplane going somewhere and experiencing these just like highs over and over again, I sometimes I go read my vlogs from hunts I've been on, I'm like, God, that just took me back because I forgot that I, how I felt in that moment or the heartbreak I even felt from screwing up so bad. Like whatever it is, it's very real and I can, re- I can like relive it and I can, it takes me back to that. What I was, what I was seeing, what I smelled, what I heard, like it's very real. So that's, that's cool. That's been probably my regret of taking this much time off. Like I got to freaking hurry up and write about my mountain goat hunt because that's the best hunt of my life and I haven't put it on paper yet. That was September. What was, uh, where was that? Alaska, outside of Homer. With your bow? Rifle? I took my bow. <laughs> I took my bow um, and ended up missing a black bear. I stalked a, a black bear on that hunt and missed it like over a foot. And then I shot my bow again at like a block of ice. And same thing, it dropped. So I don't know. It was off. And... I had it. We had the worst weather ever. Like, packed in for seven days with camp on my back, and 
we were just socked in with fog so many times. I mean, it's Alaska. You, it throws you curveballs. And so by the time I, it was like, I basically had a day to get it done. So I, really? and I had told, I had told my guide, I'm not hell bent on shooting with my bow, but I will take a nanny with my bow over a big billy with my gun any day. Like that was a, that was a goal, but I don't know. I don't even know how many mountain goat hunts you're going to get to go on. Like I drew that my first year and it was, I was, I didn't know that I would draw. Like you never know, right? You got to play the game, but it's only getting harder and more expensive. So the likelihood of me going back, I was like, I really, I really want a mountain goat on my wall and I'm not, I'm not so dedicated to the bow that I won't shoot one with a gun. But if I have the perfect scenario, even on a nanny, I would take it in a heartbeat. I made that very clear. When my bow was off and I only had, yeah, like a day, day and a half left, I'm like, give me the gun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I ended up, I ended up shooting. I finally got my goat. That's so awesome. That was, that was my, was that-, that was the, uh, probably like, um, my highest, like, it's like how people view sheep hunting. Cause I don't have the sheep bug. I don't know why. Sorry for the listeners who love sheep. I just, I just don't have that. I never have mountain goat was up, was my, like the pinnacle for me. So with a bow would have been cool, but um, is that physically pretty demanding? Absolutely. It's the hardest I've ever trained for anything in my life. <laughs> really? Yeah, I started training early spring. And I was I was rucking. I was I was going on hikes with 40, 50, 60 pounds on my back for I don't know, almost 6 months leading up to that. So by the time I got dropped off on that by that plane on the beach, I was like let's freaking go. And I, so physically I was in the best shape of my life. I did not struggle. Um, the weather, <laughs> I was freezing. I have that, uh, they call it a disease like Ray nods or whatever, where I don't get circulation through my hands very well and my feet. So the, the weather was super hard for me. I didn't pack enough clothes cause I'm trying again, seven days on my back with food and everything. It gets a lot. What'd it's, your pack weigh? Mm, with my weapon, it's like 60, 65 pounds, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then day to day, wasn't near as much. I dumped a lot of stuff into my tent, but yeah, the whole getting to base camp was, it was a, well, was and a it's, it's kind of like at winter strong, that weather that when it's humid, like the, with the rain, yeah, that Alaska rain, wet, cold, like. I don't know what it is. I think I'd rather hunt on a 20 degree or a 15 degree degree like blue sky day in Montana <clears throat> versus 35 degrees or 40 and rainy. Yeah, and out there you're you're not lighting a fire and you don't have tall trees like luckily we had a tarp that saved our tail cuz it just it it just wouldn't stop. Um but I the circulation in my hands and feet was just like non-existent I I got way too cold a couple of times so I was boiling water into my Nalgene during at night and putting it by my feet just to get comfortable enough to fall asleep and that would actually last for a while like the insulation from your sleeping bag and everything held that heat for several hours it was oh that was a game changer um but I don't think any rain gear can <laughs> really withstand Alaska. Like it's going to get through eventually if it's just dumping on you. And it was, and then one we moved camp and I don't know. It's like it couldn't where we set up camp. None of the other guys, none of their tents flooded, but I woke up 
and I was on an island, like my sleeping pad was floating. And I, thankfully I sleep like a dead person on my back. So like, I don't move around. I don't toss and turn or sleep. Like I'm not, I'm sleep pretty good. But if I had moved, I would have soaked. I, everything around me was soaked. All my clothes were soaked. My boots were full of water because they fell over in the middle of the night and filled up. My bow was completely underwater. My bow sitting on the rocks was completely underwater. Holy shit. Yeah, I have video. It's unreal. I, I, but nobody else wasn't like, how did this even happen? Because we were up high. We, we like climbed quite a bit. And, but just where that water was coming down, it couldn't keep up, couldn't drain fast enough. So they ended up having to dig a moat around me just to drain the water, just so I could get out without completely soaking the only clothes I had on me that were dry in my sleeping bag, which was a, you know, old down. I didn't bring a synthetic one because I, I get so cold. I wanted like, I wanted a zero degree <laughs> down yeah. sleeping bag. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just taught me a lot. Like you don't, you can't just like run and get cover or start a fire. Like, yeah, it's not happening. Yeah. There's some things that, Alaska tests that other places won't it's yeah it's very unforgiving yeah but those are the things I'm like how can it be so miserable in one sense but like the minute that the plane landed to come get us and I got in I well even like halfway down my hike down to the beach for them to pick us up I could not quit crying like uncontrollably bawling my eyes out I was trying to hang back so the guys couldn't hear me because I just didn't want to leave. Like, it's funny that you're mm. just like exhausted, miserable, hunts over. Your he- your pack is heavy as hell because you're I'm packing out a goat now. And just like, I don't want to go. I don't want to. I don't want to leave. It's weird. It's like yeah. total dis- disconnect, true disconnect off grid. And that's just not something that I think we get to experience very often. Even as hunters, how many places you go hunting, you still have cell phone service now or. Yeah. It's it's not the way hunting used to be a long time ago. So I really cherish those units that are, you, you know, you, if Completely you if I disconnected. Yeah, if I gave you my Garmin and Reach number, cool. But if you didn't, there's a reason. <laughs> if you didn't get it, there's a reason. Yeah. So yeah, that was. You haven't given me yours. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you have to call me out? <laughs> no, well, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, I greatly respect what you do. Um, you know, I, I'm honored to call you a friend and, uh, can't wait to see what, uh, adventures you're on this fall. So I, I really appreciate everything you're doing and let's, uh, maybe go on a hunt sometime. Hopefully we'll share a hunting camp together. I thought you'd never ask Josh. (laughs) (laughs) No, likewise. I, I, fully respect you everything you've done your wife is amazing it's it's been it's been a fun journey awesome well thank you thank you